As Miriam mentioned, we are in uh, John chapter uh, 17, and so if you didn't turn there, you can go ahead and, and turn there. Um, and as a refresher, we are in a, a sermon series uh, on prayer right now. Uh, this is our third week, and uh, in week one, Ben led us through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uh, teaching us the Lord's Prayer. We talked about how our greatest need is for God and His kingdom. Um, so that very fact should shape our prayer life. It should be foundational to the way that we pray. And then last week we looked at Jesus praying um, after his baptism. So he went down to be baptized by John the Baptist. And afterwards, um, uh, the scripture says that he was praying. And then the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and actually empowered him for his ministry. Um, and so if Jesus, who was fully God, uh, but also fully man, if Jesus himself was completely reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit to go about his ministry uh, here on earth, we are as well. We're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to be able to do anything, to be able to um, proclaim the gospel and have hearts uh, hear it or hearts uh, be open for it, ears to hear it. And so as we think about how we pray, we want to be people who depend on the Holy Spirit um, to empower uh, the work that God calls us to do. Today, uh, we're talking about praying uh, for God to redeem brokenness in the world. And specifically today, we're going to zero in on um, praying for people who are in the world, um, but who do not yet know Jesus, who are lost. Um, so if you have uh, one of our little prayer uh, wheels, we're on kind of uh, the, the magnet uh, that Michelle made for us. Uh, we're on uh, the third uh, one, and it's praying for brokenness and praying for redemption. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So as we consider uh, this topic, um, I thought it would be really good and helpful if we would um, consider the end of the story. I want us to start with the end goal and the end vision in mind. Um, we're given insight into what the end of the story uh, looks like in our Bibles in the book of Revelation. And so Lydia, if you could just flip to the next slide. Uh, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, uh, John's given a vision about the uh, new heavens, new earth, and what is to come to pass. And this is what he sees. He says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude <clears throat> that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So God's end goal is that his glory would be known and enjoyed among all the nations. <clears throat> so that's great news. At the end of the story, we see that Jesus is victorious. We see that his church has completed the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So that's good news, but I think that um, I wanted to start there to kind of set our focus and our sights on that, but I think all of us, if we look around at the world today, it's not hard for us to see that we're not there yet, right? Um, in fact, I think that if there's one thing that we can agree on uh, as human beings, probably all around the world, is that things are not as they should be here. Um, we can recognize that we live in a world where People are capable of unspeakable beauty with their lives and what they do, but they're also capable of tragic brokenness. And I think that 
as people, we long for something better than what we're experiencing now when we look at the state of the world. <clears throat> so I wonder, as Christians, how are we to think about this? And how are we to pray for the world, for the lost in the world, in light of this? Um, if you're anything like me, um, most of my prayers revolve around me or people who are in my nearest proximity, my family, um, friends, you guys, um, and those prayers are super important. Um, those are some of the rhythms and the habits of prayer that we're going to be studying <clears throat> in this series, and so I want to encourage that, but um, what about prayers uh, for the nations, people that uh, aren't close to me? <clears throat> What's our calling, uh, praying for the lost, especially those who are different from us? Maybe even people that we would consider to be our enemies. What's our, what's our responsibility? What's our calling to pray for those people? <clears throat> Maybe another question to consider is why should we pray for the lost? If we consider, if we know, like the passage we just read in Revelation, if, we know, if God knows how things end in Revelation, kind of what the end of the story is, why doesn't God just do what God does and just save those people? What's, what's the role in prayer and in the church and things like that? Well, it seems like from the beginning, God's plan has been to fulfill his mission through mankind. God has chosen people or specific groups of people, and he's blessed them. He's given them his word. He's given them his law. He's given them his truth. And he's done that so that they can be a blessing to other people so that they can spread his love and spread his kingdom reign around the world. And that's one of the reasons why we, uh, as a leadership team, why we chose the name Salt and Light for our church is because we want a constant reminder in front of us that we are people who are sent to bless the world, that we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to the world. <clears throat> so as we're in this series, as we're learning about prayer, we're learning that prayer is an essential part of God's mission. Uh, if God wants to use us, we're not capable of doing it on our own. No one is. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us as his church. But we need to pray uh, for, for God to bring about his plans for redeeming his creation uh, through disciples uh, who go and make new disciples. So we're going to look at John 17. Um, but let me stop. Let me pray for us as we uh, jump into it. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for my brothers and sisters uh, here um, uh, for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for um, God pursuing us and inviting us into your family uh, through Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us a heart for the people around the world who don't yet know you, who aren't a part of your family. God, that you would help us to, to uh, wrestle with the words of Jesus and his habits and prayer, God, and that you would by your Holy Spirit, shape us by your word. Shape us to be more like Jesus. Shape us to pray like him, to think like him, and to do what he did by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name. Okay, so uh, context for uh, this passage that Miriam wrote, uh, read. Uh, she did not write it. It was uh, John, the Apostle John, that uh, wrote it. <clears throat> Just making sure you're paying attention. Um, the context for this passage is that it is the high priestly prayer. Um, this is a prayer that um, Jesus prayed for his disciples. Um, he prayed for them, and he not only prayed for them, but he prayed for disciples who would come to know Jesus through them. So that's not just disciples in the first century, but he's actually praying and extending that prayer to us, to people like us who believe in Jesus in 2021. 
Um, but as I, was pre- as I was preparing for this, I was going through the passage that uh, Ben had kind of set aside. The way that we kind of come up with our teaching series is we sit down and we talk and we pray and we say, like, what is it that we think that God is leading us to, to teach the church, to lead, uh, to lead the church through? What are certain themes and topics and books that we can study to grow together? Prayer was a thing that was laid on all of our hearts, and so Ben kind of went out and he kind of takes the first stab at kind of putting together the teaching series, and then we decide who's going to teach. And so Ben and Jess and their family are driving back from Branson today. And so I volunteered for this one, and it's prayers for the world. And then I start reading this passage, and I see this part in uh, verse, I think, 9, where Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world here. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, this maybe is going to be a little bit tricky. I'm going to have to do a little bit more legwork to figure out how we're talking about praying for the nations and praying for the world uh, through this passage. Uh, but I think there's a lot for us to learn and take from Jesus' prayer here. But I want us to start, I want to start off with a question. Um, what do we know about God's feelings toward the world? Can anyone think about a verse or a passage of scripture or something that tells us about God's heart for the world? Which is, yeah. That's it. That's good. That's the, that's the one I had written down. I was hoping that someone said that. that was, that's it. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God loves the world. His feelings toward the world are love. <clears throat> so then are we to pray for the world? Well, we're certainly called to pray for people in the world because God's desire is that all people be saved. So Lydia, go ahead and flip to the next slide. Uh, in First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is the Apostle Paul. He says this. Um, he says, first of all, then I, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves the world. He desires for people to come to know his truth. It's good for us to pray for people to come to know that truth. So we want to learn how to do that. So what are we to take and learn from Jesus's prayer here, this high priestly prayer in uh, John 17? I mentioned before that this is Jesus's high priestly prayer. It's the longest uh, prayer, recorded prayer of Jesus's that we have in scripture. Um, we're not going to go through the whole thing, like verse by verse. We're going to do a little bit of a flyover of this passage. But I think that um, there are some important themes that we can take from Jesus' prayer that we can apply uh, to our prayer life. Um, but before we get into that, just a bit more context. As Jesus is giving this prayer, he's up in the upper room with his disciples. They're around uh, a table in the upper room. They've just taken the Lord's Supper. Jesus uh, is about to be betrayed. He is about to be uh, given over to his enemies. He is about to be uh, crucified and killed. And this prayer comes right before that. And so Jesus understands that there is a power out there that is in opposition to him and to his kingdom. And Jesus refers to that power of opposition here as the world. And the world is this empire that is empowered by what Jesus refers to as the evil one, that's Satan, and that's Satan's dominion of darkness um, that empowers the world. 
And Jesus also knows that he's about to be taken out of the world. And he is going to then send his disciples out into this very world that he's being taken from. But he is going to send them with his Holy Spirit uh, to empower them to carry out this great commission and to carry on his work to share the good news of the gospel all around the world. So a few of the things that I think that we can take from this as we consider our, like how we pray for the nations, how we pray for God's mission here locally and around the world. The first thing, um, and this will come up on the screen. Let's see here. Go ahead and skip forward ahead of this one. I think this is out of order. Lydia, keep going. One more, one more, one more. Sorry. There it is. Jesus reminds his disciples of where they came from. So in the context of this packet, pa- uh, passage, as I just mentioned, Jesus is speaking um, of the world as this, uh, this force that's opposed to his kingdom. Um, it's this, also this very place uh, and this group of people that Jesus and his disciples have been sent to redeem the lost um, out of that place. So uh, in verse 7, I mentioned this before, Jesus very directly says that right now in this prayer that he is not praying for the world. He's actually praying for his disciples, who he says earlier had been brought out of the world, and they've been brought out of the world by having a relationship with God through Jesus. So Jesus says uh, at the beginning of this passage in verse 6, he says, I've revealed um, or manifested your name to these people, to my disciples. Um, I gave them the words that you gave me. Uh, My disciples have received them, and they've come to know your truth. So they've been redeemed and reclaimed out of the darkness, out of the world. So I think that as we pray for the lost, whether that's someone that we know closely, like a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, or whether we're praying for uh, an unreached people group that's on the other side of the world, I think it's important for us to be reminded that we too were once lost, that we, we too were once held captive by the world. Those of us who are in Christ, who have been redeemed by Jesus, you and I, we didn't do anything amazing to earn our place in the kingdom of God. In fact, we were a part of the world. We were a part of that force that was in direct opposition to Jesus and his kingdom, but Jesus pursued us and rescued us. God um, sent people to share the word of God with us because we certainly didn't figure it out on our own. None of us did. But God in his grace pursued us uh, through other believers. Just like Jesus pursued his disciples, he shared the word with them. Someone did that for us as well. Some disciple of Jesus came and shared the good news of Jesus with you, and God pursued you through them. So I want us just to take a second, consider our own faith journeys. If we are believers of Jesus, if we consider ourselves disciples of him, um, who shared the gospel with you? Who Who do you think prayed for you? Who walks alongside you now as you grow more in your faith in Jesus to become more like him and to do the things that he did? Um, Man, I think that if we consider that and we think about that, that we didn't get there on our own, that God pursued us through people, um, that he rescued us from the world, I think that... um, we would just have more of an appreciation and gratitude for the fact that we are people who've been brought out of that darkness. Lydia, I'm going to make you backtrack. This is my fault. A few more to the beginning. There we go, to Colossians 1.6. Um, 
Colossians 1 has this great passage. Um, I put it up here in the New Living Translation. That's the translation that I'm reading through this year, and I just love how it's put. Uh, it says this in verse 6. Um, this is, again, Apostle Paul uh, writing this. It says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And then down in uh, verse 11, it picks up. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You can skip ahead back to that. There you go. You're one step ahead of me, Lydia. You're doing great. Um, I love just this very strong uh, language that Paul uses here about this transferring of uh, 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 God's uh, children from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We should be joyful and thankful for the good news message that has come to us through other disciples of Jesus um, because of what it means for us. And I think if we as um, disciples of Jesus if we start with a posture of humility and if we start with a posture of gratitude, recognizing that we ourselves have been rescued from darkness, um, I think we'll have more of a heart to participate in God's ongoing rescue mission that was started by Jesus, carried on by his apostles, and now through his church. <clears throat> the reality is, is that there are many people, many people who are still a part of this domain of darkness that Paul talks about here, that Jesus talks about as the world, that those people are on a path to spend eternity apart from God. <clears throat> that's heavy, but that's like reality that I think we need to kind of wrestle with and grapple with in this here. So I think that should be something that we don't even want for our enemies. I think, um, I think if we stop and if we consider this more often, I think that will lead us to pray for the lost more. I think it helps shape and form our motivation for like, why would we do this? Why would we pray for the lost? Why would we pray for someone on the other side of the world that we don't know? So that's the first, uh, the first thing I think we can uh, take from this passage. Um, Jesus reminds his disciples of where they've come from. So let's be reminded of where we've come from as well. Let that be, help shape our motivation to pray for the lost. Number two, um, Jesus recognized his disciples' need for protection. So Jesus prayed for the opposition, uh, prayed against the opposition from the enemy in the world. In verses 14 and 15, um, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. These are his disciples. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus redeems his disciples, and then rather than saying, like, pull them out of the, the world, God, like, he's not, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not praying that. I'm praying, keep them in the world. Send them out into the world, but protect them from the evil one. And the reality is, is that as believers in Jesus, we've been transferred out of the world, and what that means, since we've been transferred into God's kingdom, is that that brings us into an active battle that has been going on for a very long time against Satan, against the enemies that are opposed to God and his kingdom. Um, God's enemy isn't happy about the world being plundered 
about disciples going in proclaiming the message of Jesus and people being rescued and captives being reclaimed out of that. So there is opposition to that. I think um, in Western Christianity in America that we don't often consider this concept of spiritual warfare as a real thing. Maybe we um, scoff at the idea or we think it's just, uh, I don't know, it's something that's, that's other or separate. It's not something certainly that affects us. As I was thinking about this though, one of the thing, observations that I had is that I've yet to meet a missionary, someone who's gone overseas to share the gospel to an unre- unreached group of people who comes back and tells me their story, but they scoff at the idea of spiritual warfare. Um, they come back and they're like, man, it's real, you know, and they tell me stories about it. <clears throat> and I believe them, you know? So <clears throat> what does that mean? Does that mean uh, spiritual war- warfare and those attacks from the enemy that they only happen overseas because that's the front lines of where uh, the gospel message is being declared? Or does it just mean that maybe here in the U.S. that we just don't have eyes to see the reality of what's going on, the opposition of the gospel message going out here in Fort Worth, here in our neighborhoods, and things like that? What I do think we should take from this passage is that Jesus obviously thought that spiritual opposition was very real and that it was a threat to his disciples. So he prayed for protection from the enemy for his disciples. And he believed in it. He claimed it in Jesus' name. So I think that we should absolutely pray against opposition from the enemy and uh, opposition from the world against us um, and for other disciples of Jesus who are sharing the gospel here locally and overseas as well. The third thing uh, to take from this, uh, this prayer, this passage, uh, Jesus' prayer habits, is that Jesus sends disciples to make disciples. That's kind of the way that God goes about like extending uh, his kingdom reign around the world. In verse 18, uh, Jesus says, just as the father sent him, uh, Jesus, into the world, so he was sending his disciples into the world. So I think that what we should take from that is that we too should pray for Jesus to continue to send his disciples to the world, here and around the world. That's how his mission's carried out. I think back to our truest story series, the story of God and how we're a part of what God is doing um, in the world. God's mission is to redeem and reconcile all of creation. And his plan to do that is to empower people, his covenant people, to participate in this project with him. God wants to bless people so that they are a blessing to the world. So that's... um, That's where we come in. That's where the church comes in. We need to pray for disciples of Jesus to display display and declare the good news of Jesus' kingdom to people who aren't yet a part of it, to people who are still held captive in the world. So I think what we can take from this is we need to pray for God to empower his church to do his work through his Holy Spirit. We need to pray for messengers um, of the gospel to go whether that is in your school, your workplace, uh, whether that is overseas, uh, we need to pray for messengers of the gospel to go uh, to places where it's not being spoken and pray that many new disciples would be made. I hope that we would also pray for opportunities for us to participate in God's mission in our lives where he's placed us. 
And then uh, the fourth thing that I want us to take from this, pa- this passage uh, at the end of it in verses 20 and 21, um, what I just took from this is that Jesus prays expectantly and he prays with confidence. Um, in verse 20, uh, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples who are sitting around the table. He's pray- he says, I, I pray this also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus doesn't just pray these things for his disciples around the table that evening. He prays it for everyone who will come to faith in him through his kingdom movement. So that includes us. That includes future generations all the way until Jesus comes again. And until that passage that we read earlier in Revelations, uh, until that becomes a reality a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So Jesus prayed for us. But I also love how Jesus prayed expectantly and confidently. He doesn't have, he doesn't seem to have concerns that this movement that started with, you know, him and these people these, uh, around this table in this upper room, he doesn't have concerns about this movement getting off the ground after he's departed because he's about to go. <laughs> he knows that he's about to be deserted by his, his apostles, um, but he's confident. He has confidence that God will accomplish his mission through the church. And so this gives me a lot of peace as I pray for the lost, as I think about um, the end of the story. I have confidence that it's already written, um, that the enemy doesn't win, that evil does not win, um, that the good news of Jesus will be shared around the entire world, um, and that through that, there will be a multitude of countless people who will get to experience God's goodness and glory forever. So I want us to be a people who pray for that, who engage in that. I want us to pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, in Fort Worth as it is in heaven, in Kathmandu as it is in heaven. I want us to pray for people who are still lost and haven't received this message. But let's also pray with confidence that we serve a powerful God who's rescuing people through his church. Darkness doesn't win. Jesus will not be defeated. His kingdom will be victorious. Um, So that's good news to me, that we get to be a part of that. And prayer is a super important part of that, so I want us to to practice that together here in a minute. But I want us, before we do that, I want us to stop and I want us to take communion together. And so if you can grab your, your bread and your juice, as we take this meal together, I want us to I want us to think about how Jesus' disciples were gathered around that table with him when he did this for the first time. <clears throat> I want us to think about how he reminded them about how they were his enemies and opposed to him and a part of the world, but in his goodness, he pursued them and he rescued them out of the world. They were his enemies, but God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him has that promise of eternal life. 
And I want us to remember that for ourselves, that you and I, we were once held captive in darkness, but that Jesus pursued us and he sent people, he sent disciples of Jesus to share the good news of the gospel with us. So as we take this bread, take the film off and take the bread in hand, I want us to remember Jesus' body that's been broken for us. So let's take, let's eat. And as we take the juice, which represents Jesus' blood that has been shed for us, let's remember that and let's drink. Okay. Now I want us to pray together and spend some time kind of practicing uh, these prayer habits together. Last week, Ben talked to us about how uh, Jesus had to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for uh, his ministry on earth. So guess what? We also are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for any work that God is going to do to rescue people out of uh, the world, out of darkness, and into his kingdom. We also get to be people who are engaged in that mission and who pray for that mission around the world, that our hearts will be stirred for the things that God cares about, for rescuing people. So we're going to kind of practice this prayer together and kind of combine uh, uh, the prayer uh, from last week about praying for uh, the Holy Spirit to empower the work of the church and whatever ministry God calls us to and praying uh, for the lost. So what I want us to do is I want us to pray uh, in concentric circles um, where we start kind of closest with uh, folks who are in the closest proximity to us, um, our neighbors. And then from there, we're going to spend some time uh, praying for our city. Um, so as you think about your neighbors, um, let's, let's start there. As you, as you think about your neighbors, think about people who live in your neighborhood. Think about people you work with. Think about uh, people that God may send you to uh, this next week who you may trick-or-treat around and get to know uh, folks. Um, be reminded that there are people that God has placed you around who don't know him but who he wants to know, who he who is pursuing and may be pursuing uh, through you and may have opportunities for you to share good news with them. I want you to consider those people because we're going to pray for them here in a minute. And then as we move out, we're going to pray for our city. Uh, we're going to pray for the city of Fort Worth. We want to see the city saturated with the gospel. We want to see many people come to know Jesus. We want to see many churches planted in this city so that there's more churches, healthy churches, who are proclaiming the gospel message. And then finally, we're going to expand out even further, and we're going to pray for the nations. And the nations is, is big. There's a lot of people, right? And so uh, uh, maybe focus in more specifically. That's one of the reasons why we talked about the Lloyds today is that we want to be, a, uh, we, we've committed to uh, 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 caring for them financially, but also uh, with prayer. So that's a, a way for us to pray during this time together. If you want to pray specifically for them and what God's doing um, through them on the ground in Kathmandu, or if there are other missionaries that you know overseas uh, who are doing the work of the kingdom, or maybe there's unreached people groups that are on your heart that you know that there are people who are there proclaiming the gospel yet. We're going to have opportunities to uh, pray for them here in a minute. So, uh, Lydia, there's one more uh, slide up there. I want to give us some specific ways to pray as we're going to pray through those concentric circles of praying for our neighbors, praying for our city and praying for the nations. These are kind of shaped and formed by a lot of what Jesus showed us in his high priestly prayer we just went through. Um, pray that we would long to see redemption. Um, 
that we would long to see lost and brokenness uh, be made right. Pray, uh, pray for your enemies. Uh, be reminded that like them, we were once in opposition to God's kingdom. So pray with humility for people who maybe are not like you. Pray specifically and earnestly for disciples of Jesus to go into the brokenness of the world and to declare, uh, display and declare the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Pray for protection against the evil one and the influence of the world in the name of Jesus. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would op open people's hearts to receive that news and believe in Jesus so that they'll be transferred from the world to God's kingdom. So we're gonna leave those, that up on uh, the screen. Um, I'm gonna give you just a few minutes to pray silently um, for whatever God has laid on your heart, first for your neighbors, and then I'll lead you through a time of prayer for our city, and then a time of prayer for the nations. So let's bow our heads and let's, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you that you're here with us. God, we thank you for, um, we thank you, God, that you are a God who pursues uh, sinners, that you pursue those who uh, were opposed to you, your enemies, God, because we all we all were your enemies, a part of the world, a part of the kingdom of darkness. Uh, but by your grace, through the gospel, um, you've transferred us out of darkness and into light, God. And there are many people who have not heard that message, who have not received that message. Um, and God, we want to see people come to know you. God, we want to see your church grow. Here uh, in Fort Worth, um, we want to see salt and light grow. We want to see new believers come to know you, Jesus, through this community of people, God? Would you give us opportunities to, to be witnesses of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, God? Would you plant more churches in Fort Worth that can continue that message, God? And would you send people around the world to those people who haven't heard yet, um, to the places that are unreached, God? Would you continue your work? God? And we pray in confidence knowing that you will not be defeated, um, that the church will be successful not because we are good and powerful, but because we are empowered by your Holy Spirit to do this work, God. But give us hearts like yours, God. Make us people who pray often and consider these things often, God. Um, we pray these things in the name of Jesus.